If you have your Bibles or devices, you can turn to Acts chapter 8, and we'll get there in a few moments. But as we are looking at this book in the Bible, we are seeing that God intended his people, his church, to be on fire, that he actually promised the Holy Spirit It was promised he would baptize us with the Spirit and with fire. And I'm not speaking of hyper-emotionalism, though I'm not opposed to emotional. And I'm not speaking about wrenching something up. I'm talking about the work and move of the Spirit. And that's what we are earnestly desiring here in our midst and in our congregation And in our community and in our homes and families with our children and our young people. Jesus promised the Spirit. He promised it to the disciples when he said in Acts 1, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This is really the main point of the book of Acts. A church on fire, baptized and empowered by the Spirit, giving witness of all that Jesus did and all that Jesus is doing in Jerusalem and then everywhere that they went thereafter. That is the point of the book of Acts. But here's the thing about this church, this early New Testament church. They probably never get out of Jerusalem if it's not for the death of Stephen and the persecution that follows after. They probably stay right there because it feels good to be where God is moving so powerfully. And it's scary to have to leave. But Acts chapter 8 describes to us this moment of critical nature right after Stephen's martyrdom and when all sorts of things turned for this early church. Acts 8, verse 1. And Saul approved of his execution. That's Stephen's execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Stephen's death was the start of a truly vicious time in the period for this church. They were a young church. They had seen tremendous Move of the Spirit, healings, all sorts of miraculous events, the power of the Holy Spirit falling upon them, multitudes being added to them. Many believed in Jesus. They had heard the gospel, they'd seen the miracles, they had been encountering the power of God, and they joined their ranks in the thousands. But many others at the same time were fiercely opposing them, including. This guy named Saul. We're told that he is ravaging the church. And that word uh, suggests sadistic cruelty. 
like a wild boar that would tear apart its victim. That's the kind of intensity in which Saul is going around inflicting suffering and pain upon the church. The Bible says that he's not only dragging off the men who were followers of Jesus, but also the women. And he is committing all of them to prison and hopefully to execution. Of course, we know this guy named Saul. <laughs> he, uh, he's going to show up in the next chapter. He himself is about to have a life-altering encounter with the resurrected Jesus. And it will change the course of his life, and it will change the course of history. But I don't want to get into that yet. That's next week and beyond. I want to talk about these verses. And in particular, one interesting thing about these verses is that while many in the church were being scattered into places like Judea and Samaria, Luke makes it crystal clear that the apostles themselves remained in the city. Did you catch that when we read it? They were all scattered, but the apostles remained in the city. Now, I think that's an interesting point. If not a critical point, it's certainly interesting. Why would Luke give us that understanding of what's happening? Uh, I'm sure that the apostles felt that they were being responsible, that they were doing the right thing by staying, uh, keeping the, the home fires burning, right? Keeping it stoked, being true to what God had called them to do. But I wonder, and I have to wonder, if God really meant for some of them, at least, to go. Here's why I think that. The word apostle means one sent on a mission. It means the sent one. One that is sent. Apostle, that's what it means. The sent one on mission. But as our dear friend, Brother Charles Simpson, has said, even though they were the ones being sent, all too often, they had to be sent for. It happens later in this chapter. It happens throughout Acts where they send for the apostles to come. I wonder if in this moment, they should have understood the charge to be sent. So much of our current church model has been about staying. Um, like that movie I talked about a few weeks ago, The Field of Dreams. If you build it, they will come. And it's all about destination, proximity, Christianity. But what Jesus commissioned them to do was to not build, build a cathedral. He commissioned them to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. He sent them, and they're busy sitting back. I thought about this uh, this last week when I renewed my driver's license. I renewed my license. Did you know you can do it online now? Did you know that? Uh, it's fascinating to me. Uh, but here's the problem. They use the same photo and stats that they used eight years ago when they issued you the license. Did you know that? <laughs> That's good. Yeah, I know. This seems like an, uh, a benefit is what I'm thinking. 
Here's my new license. Um, this is my new license, but I was 50 when that picture was taken. That's the new one, not the old one. I was 50. A lot's changed since I was 50. Uh, for one thing, that shirt doesn't fit me anymore. Because I am not the 165 pounds it says I am. I'm not telling you how much I am, but it ain't 165. And I've probably shrunk an inch or two, so I'm not almost six feet, which is what I always say. Uh, and I would imagine that I have a little more white hair. Um, my grandkids told me when I said I had gray hair, they said, no, Papa, it's white hair. <laughs> but I think that picture is not being... One good thing is they made it black and white this time. So you can't really tell. Crazy thing is that there will be even more changes in these next eight years. But that's my lessons. And so I get to walk around until I'm 66 years old, like I'm a 50-year-old, slightly gray-headed, six-foot, almost 32-inch waist man. I feel good about myself. That's my driver's license. That's what it says I am. You noticed I blacked out the numbers so you can't do something to me. I hope I blacked out everything I needed to. <laughs> That's what my license says I am, but it's not a good representation of the reality of what I am. Much of the church is walking around the same way, with a license that says one thing, but a reality that says another. I don't, I don't mean to pick at us. I love you. I hope you love me. But I want to ask you, what does your license say that you're not living up to? It may have been true one time. It may have been what God actually commissioned you to, but are you actually living the stats and looking like the photo that's on that license? All of us as followers of Jesus are called to be sent out. We are the ones sent out. Maybe not to an unreached people group in a far off land, though some of us should be. But every single one of us are called to go out into the marketplace, into our neighborhoods, into the school classroom, into uh, the workplace, into the civic areas, into people's lives. We are called to go, not simply wait around for them to come. I was just noticing this uh, when Sam Zeidman was baptized last year. And that little boy is in sixth grade now, right, Jen? And he got baptized last year, and he's been saved. He's known Jesus since he was like in first grade. Uh, God really does some phenomenal things in that little boy. And you heard his testimony if you were here. And his teacher actually <laughs> sent Roger and Gina an email saying that Sam was witnessing to all of his classmates. One was a Muslim. And Sam was talking to him about his own faith. And he was only in fourth or fifth grade. He was sent. And Sam doesn't have a problem with that. We're sent. Do we? Whatever reason they had there in Jerusalem that the apostles stayed, 
What that really means to tell us is that the very first time that the gospel is shared outside of Jerusalem, it's not spoken by some apostles preaching. It's shared by normal guys who got scattered. And it highlights the fact that the church has seen its greatest growth, not by the preaching of a few anointed apostles, but by the everyday lives of everyday believers who love and are filled with the Spirit and are walking in the Spirit, testifying of His goodness and sharing good news wherever they are and wherever they go. As a follower of Jesus, you are as critical to the purpose and mission of God as any gifted preacher or any holy saint or any talented leader. In fact, I would dare say you are more critical to that mission than they are. When you deny yourself and you follow Jesus by picking up your cross, when you say, I am not my own, I belong to you and I follow after you, get ready because he's gonna start using you to advance his kingdom. That is his purpose and he's called you into it. Sometimes, He takes you to places by divine call. You may have had this experience where you feel called to a a certain city or to a certain major at school or to a certain school or or to a certain neighborhood or a certain person. Or you may sense his direction and calling through your just normal life circumstances like getting a promotion at work or a new job or getting transferred or buying a new house or having new neighbors move in next door. But sometimes, God takes you places you didn't want to go, into things you didn't ask for, through persecution and scattering, things you would have never signed up for. And God is just as sovereign over those things as he was the good ones that happened in your life. Even hard things, Even things that seem impossible, like losing a job or financial disaster or receiving a diagnosis you wouldn't have wanted to hear. This can be the very thing that God uses to bring about his plan and purpose. He is sovereign and he uses it at all. We get so fixated on our our lives, on where we are and why we're there. Why would God do this? How, where are you, God? We, we are so fixated on where we are that we often falter at being faithful witnesses in the midst of it. And that's what God has called us to be. A witness regardless of what things are doing to you or how things are going. His witness. People are watching you, you know. If no one else, your own children, your spouse, people you work with, those you live with, people are watching. What witness are you giving them today? People who need hope and encouragement, who need good news that Jesus is risen and is on the throne, that following him brings abundant life even when troubles abound, that he is always good even when things are not, that he is steadfast, even when we are scattered. What kind of witness are you giving? What does it say on your license? 
Are you living up to it? Is what Jesus put on your license in calling and commissioning you to his work, is that what you're walking in? I love this chapter in Acts, chapter 8. Not only because it conveys that God is sovereign and that he works through everything, both good, bad, indifferent, ugly, smart, whatever. He's working always in our lives. But I also love it because it tells us a story of one such normal guy who lived the mission of God. His name is Philip. Not Philip the apostle, Philip the deacon. Look at verse 5. Philip went down to the city of Samaria. Remember, they're scattered. They went, they're scattered and they go about preaching and declaring the good news of Jesus. So Peter, excuse me, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. And when they heard him and saw the signs that he did, for unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. We first hear about Philip when we first hear about Stephen. They're comrades. They're friends. They're two of the seven that have been chosen to feed the widows in the church, to give a, a, an act of service to that community. He was what many churches would call a layman. He wasn't a professional. He wasn't one of the 12. He was just a guy along with Stephen, who were serving the church, but both full of the Holy Spirit. And I want to tell you, that changes everything. There are a lot of people that seem ambitious for things in life, in the church. I've run into people that they're very ambitious. They would like to have a platform. They'd like to have a podium. They'd like to have a microphone. Uh, they'd like to have a class. They'd like to have an ability to teach. But it's not ambition that gets you into the purposes of God. It's being filled with his Holy Spirit. That's what opens the doors for you. The Spirit does. If you're looking for people or a church or an institution to give you a platform, that's going to be very disappointing. But if you're looking to the Spirit to fill you and then bring you to places where he will use you, that's going to be life-changing. Philip goes to Samaria, where he is full of the Spirit. That's what we're told in, in chapter 6. He's so full of the Spirit that he is now breaking new ground in this mission that Jesus gave them. You remember, Jesus said, you're going to be my witnesses. Where did he say they were going to do it? Well, you're going to do it in Jerusalem, right? They got that one, right? I mean, like the whole first seven chapters, Jerusalem. They did that really well. They're up and down to the temple. They're meeting house to house. God is adding to their numbers daily, those that are being saved. Miracles all over the place. What about the rest of those areas? You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Chapter 8 starts the transition out of Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria. And we're going to see as we go to the end of the book 
that surely his servants go to the ends of the earth. They're still doing it. Philip is full of the Spirit, and he is breaking up new ground in this challenge and commission that Jesus has given them to be his witnesses. Philip was certainly a witness in Jerusalem, but now circumstances have dictated that he must leave. They are scattering because of the persecution that is great in that place. And where does Philip wind up? In a place that no Jew would go. Now, there's some speculation that Philip himself is a Hellenistic Jew, which may not be the purest form of Jew, just for sake of argument. But whatever, he's still Jewish, and most Jews don't go to Samaria. But Philip does. Jesus did. The Spirit led him there. Full of the Spirit here in Samaria, Philip now has preached the gospel, and many Many there have listened and they've had faith rise up in them and they have believed and many were healed of being lame or paralyzed and many had demons inside. Molly talked about being freed from such things. It still needs to happen today, folks. People are in bondage, anxiety, fear, dread, infirmity, all sorts of things and we just can't break out of the cycle. Because demonic influences are attaching themselves to people and keeping them in bondage. And so Philip goes and they're being set free. Oh my goodness. Things coming out of people, screaming. We say, well, that's the Bible. We don't, we don't have that anymore. Maybe we should. Philip is healing people and they're being saved. Even a guy that's a sorcerer, Simon, he's... He even is so impressed. He's got great influence over the city. He has magic and he's wielded power and he says he's great, which is always a telltale sign that he's a false prophet. If they say they're great, they're not as great as they think they are. But Simon, even he believes, the Bible says. If you read on in the story, you realize that actually Simon is telling us and warning us that we better be careful with the Holy Spirit. He's not for sale. We can't purchase what only God can freely give. And being full of the Spirit, Philip goes on and is then led by an angel away from all of the activity that he has been the primary catalyst to. He's been the, he's been the one that came and brought revival and lo and behold, the Spirit of God through an angel tells him it's time to go somewhere else. Look at it, verse 26. And now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, you know, I read that. An angel of the Lord said to Philip. We read those things and just bleep right over them. Like, oh, yeah, that just happens all the time. <laughs> this is amazing stuff. An angel of the Lord? What? We don't even, well, never mind. Okay. The angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. <laughs> But, Lord, I liked being in the city where all the activity is going on. You're sending me to the desert? Really? Come on now. Let me be in the middle of the revival over here. Nope. Verse 27. He arose and he went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure 
And he had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. Now, two moments here, we're seeing an angel give him direction, and we're seeing the Spirit of the Lord speak to Philip that changes what he chooses to do. The incredible thing to me about Philip is how seriously he takes the mission of Christ under the power of the Holy Spirit. When when we are living in the Spirit, we're going to do things that nobody would have logically told us to do. We're going to do things that seem inconsistent with logic, but not inconsistent with the purpose of God. God is going to work in us. If we are filled with his spirit and living life in the spirit and staying in step with the spirit, having the fruit of the spirit ushering out of our lives and and coming out of us, then we're going to find the spirit of God working on us. Sometimes he's going to speak just through an inner voice, a voice that you just know, I sense the spirit is saying this. And then sometimes he's going to do it through our circumstances. Like, there's persecution in this city. It's time to get out of town. And the Spirit is involved in that too. You might even have an angel speak to you sometime. But the more sensitive we are to the Spirit's direction, the more we will be in touch with God and be the touch of God to others. The end of chapter 8 has Philip baptizing this very Ethiopian eunuch. One church father says that he was the missionary that went into Africa, into Ethiopia, and spread the gospel. This eunuch was so impressed with what was being said, and the Spirit of God was opening his eyes by Philip explaining scripture to him. Look what happened in verse 39. And when they came up out of the water, because they're, they're going down this chariot in this chariot and, and there's, there's a road and then there's just a pool of water. There's some, I don't know, a puddle, a river, a creek, whatever. It's like, there's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And Philip's like, nothing. You believe on Jesus, let's do it. And so they go down and he's baptizing him and it says, and when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord, again, the Holy Spirit is the main character in this whole story carried Philip away. What? He carried him away and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Ozodas and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Acts chapter eight tells us that Philip walked out the license the Lord had issued. What was stamped on his license? He walked it out. There was no inconsistency. There was no apathy. There was no shifting to a more relaxed, comfortable life. Philip was on the go. But the really cool thing to me is that later in Acts, when Paul who was Saul also, on his way to Jerusalem. And this time now he's been converted and he has been a missionary and apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. He stops in on Philip. 
Look at Acts 21, verse 8. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. And he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. I love the way the Lord weaves his mission and his ministers together. Here, this is Saul, his persecution, and that of others as well. But primarily his is causing such an uproar that they are scattered from Jerusalem. And Philip leaves and ends up in Samaria. And a revival breaks out. And then the Spirit of God through an angel sends him into the desert. And he goes. He doesn't argue. He doesn't complain. He just goes. And then as he's there, the Spirit of the Lord says, you see that Ethiopian eunuch up there on that chariot? Get up there with him. And he goes. And he carries the word of God in explanation to the scriptures of what he's reading. And then he baptizes him and poof! The Spirit takes him from that place. And now he's walking through places in in all of Samaria and he ends up in Caesarea. And years later, that same guy that started all the persecution ends up in his home. Praise God. God can save anybody. Even a guy like Saul. So here's my question to us today. In what areas are you staying behind When God actually told you to go. Where are you remaining. When God sent you out. Waiting for others to send for you. When he called you the sent one. Do you see God as being sovereign over your life? Do you recognize that he is at work. In your circumstances. Both good and bad are you full of the holy spirit listen to molly share that testimony about how god brought such freedom deliverance and then filled her with the spirit and gave her gifts and then healed her body i'd say she's full of the spirit where are you hearing his voice do you hear him Are you asking? Are you listening? The Spirit is speaking. No matter how troubled things are, his life is more abundant. No matter how hard things are, he is still good. No matter how scattered you become, he is steadfast. May we as a church and a community of believers live up to the license he issued us. Amen. Amen. My wife is going to come and we're going to pray for you. And she does. I'd like to ask the worship team to come on up. And then I've asked a few people uh, that can stand and pray for people this morning, along with our elders and other leaders, some couples to come and be prepared to pray for you. So when we conclude, I'm going to have them come on up and ask you to respond to the Lord as he leads. I was reading in a devotional um, earlier this week about the sovereignty of God, and I was amazed at what Chris was sharing today. Um, I felt like God gave me 101 so I could jump into the 201 today. (laughs) 
Um, so for those of you who needed the 101, I'm going to read a little bit of it. <laughs> You're it's, 301 easily. It's big. <laughs> you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, chosen that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I am the Lord, and besides me there is no one who saves. I declared and saved and proclaimed, I am he, and there is none who can deliver from my hand. When I work, who can reverse it? In this devotional piece, that was in Isaiah 43, but in this devotion it said, God is not a fortune teller or a mere predictor. He knows what's coming because he has planned what is coming, and he performs whatever he plans. He accomplishes all his purpose. He does not form purposes and wonder if someone else can complete them. The sovereignty of God means that God has the rightful authority, the freedom, the wisdom, and the power to bring about everything that he intends to happen. And therefore, everything that he intends to happen, happens. <laughs> I think with that view of God's sovereignty, then you can answer the question that Chris asked us. Are you willing to be sent, or are you going to need to be scattered? But either way, he is sovereign. Wow. We're going to pray. I feel like the Holy Spirit is working amongst us, and I just want you to be open to what he wants to do. So, yeah, let's pray. Would you pray with us? Father, we start by agreeing with you about your bigness, your sovereignty, whatever part of that that we can comprehend. It doesn't change your reality, even if we find it hard to grasp. But we do want to live up to our calling. We want to walk worthy. We want to be vessels useful to the master. And in order for that to happen, we have to agree with you today about your purpose, about the mission. You get to rule and overrule in our lives. Yes, you do. But we so powerfully benefit from that when we submit rather than argue or negotiate. So, Father, thank you for bringing the Holy Spirit to shine a light on any place in our lives where we're not living up to who you've called us, who you've said that we are, to be your children, to be your witnesses, even to the uttermost parts of the earth. Thank you for giving us opportunities to be better apprentices, to walk with you out into the mission, yes. wherever you have us, with whoever you send us to. 
We want to be full of faith so we can be faithful to your voice so we can be obedient and then we can see the wonders that you will do. Yes, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would do with our integrity gaps. The things that you have said about us, but we're not walking in. The things you've imprinted on our lives, what you've called us into. And yet we're, we're far from that example and far from that willingness even. Lord, I pray that you would put your finger on those areas in our life that may have to do with being willing to go, being the sent one, being full of the Spirit, but they also may do with, with things that are more personal, where we're not trusting you, where we are faithless in our, in our lives, our daily lives, where we're not being faithful with our kids and our marriage, where we're falling short in areas that are hurting us and others. Lord, touch the integrity gaps in our lives, I pray. And Lord, as you deal with us, equip us and fill us with your spirit, I pray. So we're going to sing a song. And as we do, there's going to be some couples here and some other leaders. Maybe some of you need to have the elders pray for you. Maybe some of you are sick and you're not doing well. The Bible says those that are in that category, call the elders have them anoint you with oil and pray a prayer of faith that you might be raised up. There are those that are in bondage, in blockage, that you need to be set free. If it can happen in Samaria, it can happen at Covenant Life Church. There are those that need to be more full of his spirit and you just need more of him. So I encourage you as we sing this song, if you're in one of those areas, would you respond? Come and let the Lord minister to you. Let's stand.